The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So most of you know, <clears throat> the Buddha was interested in um, pointing us in the direction of freedom or real happiness, not a happiness that's dependent on excuse me, things that come and go in our life, but you could say a happiness that's independent of circumstances. And that's that's kind of a challenging notion for us. We've been talking about generosity these last couple weeks. Tonight will be our last night. And we'll go from talking about generosity to the second of the paramis, these beautiful qualities of the heart. So the next one, probably for the next three weeks, four weeks, we'll talk about integrity or non-harming. This value, and and it's important to think of all ten of these qualities as ways to be happy in the most basic sense. And when we're cheating and when we're hitting people and causing harm, we're not happy. We, of course, it seems in the short term or in a superficial way like that's a way to be happy. I've got to hit back or I've got to take what I want. But when we actually pay attention, we realize it doesn't make us happy. It makes us feel tight. So same with generosity. We want to see how can generosity actually be a cause for happiness? And do we even know what that happiness is? Like one of the things we can sense with generosity is when we're feeling stingy and needy, we feel tight. It's basically, you know, as soon as I think, if only I get that (coughs) thing, (coughs) I'll be happy, then immediately I feel tight because this isn't it. If only that, then I'll be happy. So when we find a way to relate to the present moment with generosity, we're, we're, we have to be in a place of abundance. Now, maybe you don't believe this, but abundance is relative, meaning it's not about how much we have in some, according to some objective standard, how youthful and healthy we are, or how much money, how much success we have, how much privilege we have. The feeling of abundance is just a matter of what we're paying attention to. Like how we understand the view through which we understand our experience. And we could easily have a sense of not having enough and we could cultivate that sense. And by the end of the hour, we could have a really powerful sense that this is not enough, whatever this life is, however I think of or perceive my life, my existence, I could have a very powerful sense, this isn't it, this isn't enough, this has to end, this has to improve, I can't take this anymore. Even something mundane like the clothes we're wearing, we could, just with a little bit of practice, we could cultivate a deep sense of appreciation even if all we're wearing is some old t-shirt and a pair of shorts. We could have, just through 
relating to it with a certain set of eyes, certain view, we could have a lot of appreciation or we have a lot of disgust. Like, this isn't good enough. This is not okay. So the <clears throat> one of the ways that we sense what generosity is about, like that feeling of abundance, because the proximate cause for this freedom or happiness of generosity is the sense that there's something to give, this sense of abundance. And uh, one of the ways to understand this tipping point to stinginess, not having anything to give, but really needing something, something to be happy, or tipping the other way to a sense of abundance is around fearlessness. When we're really fearful, then there's a very strong, very seductive sense, I need something to be safe, whatever it might be. Even something like, <clears throat> I need something interesting to happen because I don't feel safe with this boring existence that I have. To fearlessness, which comes from a sense of safety. And this is, uh, in a way, it's our first and foremost responsibility to have some basic sense of safety so we can be generous in the world, so we can actually show up in the world. I mean, very clearly, our world, whether it's our own life, our family, this community, the world, it needs our help. But we're not really good for much if we're under the influence of feeling unsafe and feeling needy because of that. Now, we could hate the fact that we're needy and really need to be one of those people who aren't needy. But, and see, this is always our tendency to recreate the sense of not being safe or the sense of needing something before we're okay. And it really begs the question, you know, is that sense of okayness or that sense of equanimity a function of what we have or a function of, in a sense, who we are or what this is? Like in Buddhist terms, we we'd probably say something like the mind, the thinking mind, the conceptualizing mind, it actually has to work. It has to work hard to create the sense, to construct the sense of there being somebody who's unsafe. There's somebody here who's in need. We just take that as the truth, that there's somebody here who's afraid. I mean, I feel that. It feels like there's a frightened little boy in me all the time, to some degree. And the question is, how do I relate? Right? Because we have a lot of, it's almost like it's, uh, we share this reverberation with each other of fear, you know, and we trigger it in each other. We, somebody, we see somebody who's afraid, and we think, maybe there's something we should be afraid of, right? And then they see us being afraid, and they think the same thing. And it's like we pass this disease, this dis-ease back and forth to each other, acting out. In the same way that we, you know, if somebody's really into their possessions, you know, then we feel like we should be into our possessions. Or if somebody's 
you know, really politically correct, and we feel like we should be really politically correct, or somebody seems really has a lot of concentration in their meditation practice, and we feel that. So, in any way that we act out our dependence on things, on circumstances, the conditions of our lives, then we're reinforcing to everybody, including ourselves, that that's how we get safe. And then we're in this competitive world because part of what makes us feel safe is being better than the rest of you. You know, It's like, if I'm younger than most of you, that feels good. You know, if I'm older than most of you, that doesn't feel so safe. Right? If I'm smarter than or richer than or, you know, and you just can more healthy than. So basically, we're working hard at creating a sense of insecurity and unsafe, being unsafe and in need. And so the question is, well, what happens when we cease that activity? Like, is abundance or a sense of wholeness, safety, whatever you want to call it, is that sort of what's left when our mind isn't constructing a sense? We we sort of ended here last week for those who weren't here last week. Like, I mean, just to be curious... You know, when the mind, the thinking mind, the worrying mind, the planning mind, when it relaxes and we're not sort of saying to ourselves, stop thinking, but it's just sort of, we're not feeling compelled to think the next thought. We're just letting things be. What are we open to? What is that experience? Does it have more of a flavor of insecurity or security? And if it has a flavor of insecurity, which probably triggers us to want to worry more or plan more or think about this, remember that. If it feels a little insecure, like we did at the beginning of the sit, and I encourage people just to drop in and open to the experience of the body. And if it does feel a little insecure, unsafe, what happens if we practice being safe with that feeling of not being safe? What happens if we relax and receive any insecurity that we might feel? Because if we're going to be generous, the thing we really have to give is the experience of fearlessness. That's what love is, right? Love is this natural generosity of the heart. If your love is strategic, then you're still in the world of not feeling safe, like, I'll love you, I'll care for you, I'll show up, I'll help you, but I need something in return. I need you to act a certain way or treat me a certain way. And then we have this deal. But that deal gets that deal gets made because we don't feel safe. And the way we're going to feel safer is we're going to make deals with people like I'll respect you if you respect me. I'll treat you fairly if you treat me fairly. But if you screw me, then I'm going to close down or try to get revenge or tell other people that they should stay away from you. And we inhabit, we sort of re-inhabit this world of fear and insecurity. This is uh, one of the books I've read when I was first getting started with my practice. 
um, was this book by Trungpa Rinpoche, a Tibetan teacher, one of the first Tibetan teachers that came to the West, started Naropa in Colorado and a number of other Shambhala centers around the country. Pema Chodron, some of you know, wonderful teacher and author, was a student of Trungpa Rinpoche. He was also a very controversial teacher in a number of ways, but uh, also seemed very useful as a teacher. I certainly found his books useful. So his book, Spiritual, Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, he says, so the point we come back to is that some kind of real gift or sacrifice is needed if we are to open ourselves completely. This gift may take any form, but in order for it to be meaningful, it must entail giving up our hope of getting something in return. So this is the exploration. And I mentioned this the first week we talked about generosity, where we just need to get started, just start experimenting with giving our time, giving our resources, our possessions. Just play with it. Because we want to we wanna reveal a sense of freedom, like an abundance or a fearlessness. And one of the ways we do that is we play with things that we think are important. Like if we, after the program tonight, you're going home and you're looking forward to getting to bed or watching some entertainment or whatever it is, and then a friend calls you, right? And you see their name show up in your caller ID and you know this is going to be, you know, that she's struggling or he's struggling and they're going to need to talk to you for a while. And there's a sense like, Uh, I need to take care of myself. And that may be true. And it may be the right thing to do is not take the call. But sometimes it's good to play or explore, challenge that sense there's a somebody who doesn't have something to give to see if that's actually true. Because when, and this is a, you know, this is obviously something we have to be attentive to because it's not obvious always, whether we should care for ourselves or whether we should sort of drop that self-concern and share or give in a way that we're not inclined to. Because the whole idea is to step outside of fixed notions of self. Now, sometimes the way we step outside of that fixed notion of self is we want to take care of other people. We want to save the world or want to show up and we're neglecting ourselves because what we're fixed on is this identity of being the person who has something to give, being the person who can do all these things. And then the scary thing might be to say, no, I'm going to go home and take care of myself. So the idea of fearlessness, it isn't about always taking care of the other person or always taking care of yourself. It's about stepping outside of things the mind's dependent on. We're really challenged, we're looking in a playful, gradual way to challenge whatever the mind might be fixed on. So we're putting generosity, the teachings on generosity, in this bigger frame tonight. Like how do we challenge ourselves to step outside of comfort zone? Whatever sense 
that there's a frightened person, a scared person, an insecure person who needs these things that it's dependent on to feel safe. Because the truth is, we can't depend on anything. Whatever it is that we've created around us and in us to feel safe, these relative things, like I, I sense this all the time with my house now. And uh, where I live used to be Kamagura Meditation Center. When and I bought the building back in 1993 when the center started. And uh, we had a little apartment in the back for, I don't know, maybe 15 years or so. And then the community bought this building. And when and I kept that building, which was ours, and have slowly turned it. It's an old storefront, but we've turned it into more of a living space now. And it's just getting to the point where it feels really nice. You know, I thought, God, I'd never have a place, a living place this nice. It's really comfortable and spacious and, you know, relatively organized, safe, right? And I, I wonder, you know, how do I know I'm not getting dependent on this? <laughs> Maybe we should give it away. <laughs> no! <laughs> but the fact is, it's going to go away. I mean, even just, I mean, it just gets dusty. So even, no matter how much you clean it, it still needs constant care, right? So even on that level, it's not stable. It always takes work. The furnace just went out this last, at the end of the winter, and, you know, the roof is 20-some years old, and, you know, there's this, and there's that, and they didn't even build it right. It was built in 1908, and it's got all these problems, and somebody wanted to collect insurance in the 60s, and they tried to burn it down, so, (laughs) I mean, it's got, so it has a lot of problems. And even if it didn't have those problems, even then, even if you have the perfect house built out of reinforced concrete, you know, and like all the right technology and in the right location, and a big fence around it, even that isn't going to make you secure. And the more we pretend that it is, the more we're setting ourselves up. And it's the same with our health, and it's the same with our relationships with friends and partners and family, same with our meditation practice, whatever we collect around us and in us that gives us relative security, we want to start playing, intentionally playing with letting go. Now, you don't actually have to give all your money away to realize non-attachment. But we have to be honest with ourselves, not playing at all with our possessions, with our what we have, likely we're likely to be attached. You know, if you don't bring to mind your own death or the fact that you're vulnerable to sickness and aging, if you never playfully bring that to mind, oh yeah, look at that, I'm getting old. I'm now 57. Isn't that interesting how I got here? I guess that means that's going to keep going in that direction. You know, 60s will soon be here, then 70s. I was doing the math, you know, just like today or yesterday. Like, like, oh yeah, so, you know, 2030, 2030, you know, just starting to think. Yeah, I may, those numbers may be just sort of for other people to realize. I don't know. So, 
we want to start um, realizing that security doesn't come from possessions or knowledge or calm or all the things that we use and we're going to continue to use to to have a just an ordinary sense of stability. But with our ordinary sense of stability, because I have a nice house and I'm relatively healthy and I have a nice job and I have good friends and a, a loving partner. So I have a lot of these things that we tend to use in life to feel secure. But I'm not just going to rest with that relative security I'm going to begin to explore what it's like to not have that, to not be dependent on that, knowing that everything comes and goes, everything comes and goes. Like we chant sometimes on Sunday morning, these five remembrances. You can get our chant book um, on our website if you want your own copy. But a traditional Buddhist chant, it goes like this, I am of the nature to grow old. I have not gone beyond aging. I'm of the nature to get sick. I have not gone beyond sickness. I'm of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond death. All that is beloved, all that's precious, will become otherwise, will become taken from me. I'm the owner of my intentional actions, or karma, heir to my actions, born out of my actions. All these actions, I'll be the heir, like, Whatever I'm setting in motion through my intentions, that's what's going to reverberate in my heart and mind. That's what is reverberating in my heart and mind. So this is a sobering reflection for us because we want to find a happiness or a freedom or a safety not dependent on all these things that come and go. So if we're really interested in Generosity, we have to learn, we have to experiment with letting go. Like Trungpa Rinpoche is saying, let me finish this paragraph. I'll repeat the last sentence that I read. But in order for it to be meaningful, it must entail giving up our hope of getting something in return. We have to live our life without the hope of getting something in return. Now we have to play with that because of course right now, you came to common ground because you wanted to get something in return, you know, like a little calmness or a nice community experience or whatever it is for each of us. But we can be aware of how I'm interacting with my partner or I'm interacting with this piece of food or in order to get something in return, like a nice experience, chewing it and tasting it and swallowing it. So, but if we're always seeking safety in things that come and go, You see, we always stay hungry. We're never safe. We're always in need of the next thing. So we can practice experimenting. And he goes on, he says, have we really experienced the process of stripping and opening and giving? That is the fundamental question. We must really surrender, give something, give something up in a very painful way. Like even when we were sitting tonight, I opened my eyes toward the end, sort of gazing at the room, and like I experienced myself, you know, I noticed that people didn't like the sensations that were arising, you know, and so the way we deal with that is either we fantasize, like get me out of here, and we think about something so strongly 
that we're not experiencing the body, right? Right? That's what we do. That's one thing. And the other thing is we, without being too obvious to the people around us, we try to move our body in a way that makes that painful sensation go away. So one of the things we can give up is the desire to move, right? That's an act of generosity. I'm, I'm giving away, I'm refraining from being the one who has to move right now. Now, maybe later I'll become the one who has to move. But in this moment, this first moment of the pain, or maybe the second moment of the pain in the body, or the third moment, or even the 120th moment of feeling pain in the knee or pain in the back, I'm letting that go. I'm giving that away. I'm giving away the need to be that person who has to move their body. Right? So there's a, these are moments of patience. We can do this. There's all kinds of places in our life where we can let go. We can give away having to be that person. Like sometimes when I go home after a talk, I eat something. But I could give that away, being that person who needs to eat. It's not that it's bad to be a person who needs to eat or be a person who's going to do this or that. But it's really interesting to realize that I'm not dependent on being that person. How else are we going to know we're not dependent on being the person who does this or needs that or wants this unless we refrain? And it's the same with uh, the more typical acts of generosity, you know, like giving some money or giving our time or being generous in our spirit, having good feelings like, I could feel this about you, but I'm not. I'm going to pay attention to this other aspect, right? I'm going to bring this to mind or I'm going to pay attention to this so that what I'm offering is some you know, goodness of my heart instead of noticing why I don't like you and noticing why I don't want to be around you. Because that's true with anybody. I mean, I, even my partner. I mean, I can pay attention to these aspects of my partner and that makes me not want to be around her. And I can pay attention to these other aspects and it makes me act in a way that's probably more pleasing for her. Right? So what do we choose to do? And if we, the more we believe that what we're dependent on, the things we think give us safety, the more they entrap us, actually. They're prisons. You know, whatever it is. I mean, this is a bit of a cliche when we say that, you know, somebody's got a new car or a new fancy cell phone or a new partner or a new home or whatever it might be. And then they're in prison, like nobody better scratch my car, you know. And we're also in prison with the fact that now it's there's even a cooler car out or a newer smartphone or, a, you know, the possibility of a different partner. So as soon as we do sort of make this object, this person, part of our safety, then everything is threatening, right? Because it could be something better. Maybe I've hooked up with the wrong phone, <laughs> you know? Android's the way to go. Apple, so passe now. <laughs> or whatever it might be. Now people are going to flip phones, Right? <laughs> And pretty soon it's going to be cool not to have a smartphone. So get ready. 
Or maybe it will be have implants. I'm not sure which way it's going, but. (laughs) But we can see that whatever the dependency is, we can start to notice that it's imprisoning. Now, how to live in a world where we probably are going to have phones and food and partners or friends, but not the dependency. That's the interesting thing. And that's really the key to generosity, like how to be in this world, how to receive what comes our way, but not receive it and make it into some kind of dependency. Because there's really two moves in life. We can have that, like two different allegiances. One is towards gathering, like the pack rat mentality, sort of gathering things, collecting people, collecting, collecting objects, collecting wealth collecting knowledge and success and beauty and and basically anything we can collect collect that's one way but what i'm saying is that can be imprisoning because the um, view in the mind around collecting is a sense of lack i'm insecure and i need something to feel secure but the fact that we're we're collecting things because we feel insecure reinforces the sense of lack Right? So the more we try to get, the more we've reinforced this idea that there's somebody here who needs. Now the other move, basic move for humans, is to give. To see life as an opportunity to give. You wake up, it's Monday morning, and the spirit is, okay, how can I give? And that doesn't exclude ourselves. So, well, the first thing I could do is I could brush these teeth. Right? I could take care of this body. It's like a steward takes care of the land. We can take care of this body. This body has important things to do in this world, right? It has to take care of everybody as best it can. So I better keep those teeth clean, you know, and get myself to the dentist if I can afford it, and in uh, and let alone, you know, my clothes need to be washed, and the bathroom needs to be clean, and I need a good breakfast. And a little stretching might be nice. And how about a sit? How about a meditation period? Right? So we start to take care of the world because this life is proximate. And then we go out. Maybe we step outside. Or there's the cat who needs to be greeted, needs to be taken care of, held, or whatever. And then there's this. And then there's that. But we see every moment of the day as an opportunity for generosity. Or we can see every moment of the day as an opportunity to get because my heart is a big empty hole that never gets full. So I'm just constantly, and then when I have a little extra time, I pick up a catalog and I look through that or the internet, you know, and look for some entertainment or something to feel fill that void. So you see, it's nice to see generosity in the stark terms of always feeding the greedy monster, this bottomless pit. And a lot of us can outwardly look quite generous, but what we're doing is trying to fill this empty hole. But the way we're doing it is like, well, if I can just get this person to respect me or this world to respect me, so I'm going to you know, start a meditation center. You know, and we're not going to charge anything. <laughs> and people might eventually start liking me or respecting me or something. And, oh, it isn't big enough. You know, and then on and on. 
So it doesn't, you can't tell by looking at somebody what, whether they're filling, trying to fill this empty hole or whether they're living in a generous way, giving everything away. You can't really tell. It isn't, you can't tell like somebody who's rich must be greedy or somebody who's poor must be generous or somebody who's doing social action must be really generous and somebody who's working for a corporation must be really greedy. It's way too simplistic. The only way you can know is know yourself. You can know whether you're in this moment trying to be safe by gathering and holding or trying to be safe, realizing real safety by giving everything away, giving this life away. It's going to go anyway, this life, right? What do we get to keep from this life? So are we going to spend our whole life holding on to something we can't hold on to, or are we going to spend our whole life practicing being free, giving everything away because it's going away anyway? Think about money, think about love, not as possessions, but as kind of a recirculating energies. You know, there's just a lot of energy. That's what this is. Like a physicist might tell us, there's a lot of energy here, you know, just sort of interacting And the other thing a physicist would tell us, and there aren't any boundaries to the movement of energy, right? We think, it's just so obvious from this kind of conventional thinking, psychological point of view that like I'm somehow apart from the sort of circulation of energy, but that isn't what people who pay close attention realize. It's just the circulation of energy. So are we going to sort of freely participate and actually learn to enjoy how everything is moving? So we're giving away our good wishes all the time. Even with our gaze, with our touch, with our body language, absolutely everything we do can be an act of generosity. There's a wonderful line from the Buddha, He says, And what is the perfection of generosity? Here a noble practitioner dwells at home with a mind free from stinginess, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in relinquishment, delighting in not holding, you could say. One devoted to charity, delighting in giving and sharing. So the the way we do this, of course, is we have to start where it's easy, like uh, hanging out with your dog or your cat, you know, and you're just, you know, because we can be very needy with our pets, needing them to sit on our lap, needing them to entertain us or something like that. Or we can see that they're just a beast like we're a beast. They they just want to be happy. So what can we do now? And then that's the cause for our own happiness. To do one little thing, it makes us happy to do that one little thing. There's this great story. I don't know where this all started, but it's just a a fun little simile or metaphor about heaven and hell. I'm sure some of you have heard this. So somebody uh, gets this great boon because they were a good person. uh, And so God has to give them a wish. And they say, well, I want to see heaven and hell. God takes the person to see heaven and hell in this big, grand hallway. And there's a door on the right and a door on the left. 
And on this big wooden door, fancy door, it says hell. And on this side, it says heaven. And uh, so God says, well, which one do you want to see first? And the person says, well, I guess I'll see hell first. And so God brings him in. And there's this huge banquet hall. Never thought of this, right? (laughs) And there's like all this delicious food. And all the people are sitting there. And uh, they've got these, their arms, but they've got these boards sort of strapped to their arms. And they're kind of strapped to the back of the chair. And all this delicious food. And they can't get their hands to their mouth. You know, they can't use forks to get it because the boards are there. And uh, the food's hot and they're like lifting it out and trying, and they're spilling it and scalding their face. And it's, it looks like hell. It's a real mess, and people are suffering. They're trying to eat the delicious food, and they can't really. And the guy's like, oh, that's hell. Get me out of here. So the Buddha takes him out, and he says, okay, now I want to see heaven. So he opens the door to heaven, and sure enough, big banquet table, delicious food, everybody sitting at this, you know, and they're also strapped to the chair, and they also have these boards, but they're feeding each other. Mmm, Yeah. So that's, it's such a beautiful little story. Same world, different way of participating, right? So we live in this world, it's imperfect. Maybe there's not enough. And not only is it imperfect because, you know, there are a lot of human beings now on the planet. But it's also imperfect because all of us are conditioned by our culture, you know, which is, uh, as we all know, imperfect and have made our minds frightened in different ways and prejudiced in different ways. And, you know, it just makes it hard for us to get along in the world. Hard to get along with ourselves, let alone with all the other creatures on the planet. But still, maybe there's a way to make this quite beautiful. Even though our minds are conditioned in imperfect ways, right? We don't have perfect personalities. But maybe there's a way to relate to all of it in a generous way. Like, even with my own imperfection. So it's not like, no, no, I'm perfect. And now I'm going to relate to this imperfect world in a generous, beautiful way. But I'm going to also relate to the imperfections of my own personality, my own limitations, my own prejudices, my own fears. I'm going to relate to that in a generous way, in a patient way. And remember, sometimes generosity and compassion is quite fierce, right? Like the surgeon, you know, who needs to remove something so that person can live. So it doesn't mean that we're just sort of petting the cat, you know. Sometimes we have to be quite forceful to take care of ourselves and take care of the world. Sometimes we have to speak up and say what needs to be said. So it doesn't mean soft and passive action is the only way. It means that we're not afraid to do what feels like needs to be done. Because that's, that's what we're living to do. To show up and to respond. To take care of ourselves and all beings. That's really the, the sort of height of generosity. And it really has to do with stepping outside of boundaries. You know, even when we're doing something simple like we did tonight, you know, we're sitting, we compose the body, 
of a uprightness in the spine that supports alertness. And there we are with the sensations of the breath and the sensations of the body. And we can immediately put it into this normal conventional mode that, you know, I got to control this body or I got to fix this body or I got to make this experience of embodiment work for me because it's not working. You know, and so we, and this can be endless. People do this for decades in their meditation of like, it's basically like self-energy work. I'm going to tweak it this way and do this and, and it never ends because they're trying to fix. They're trying to fill that empty hole. You can never make everything perfect by trying to fix it. Because the trying to fix reinforces the basic dis-ease in the mind and heart. But you can relate in a beautiful way. You can care about it. You can care about the body. You can care about the world. And you can go from that point of caring. Like let the next moment, the next way of responding be from that, not from fear of the pain in the body or the discomfort in the body, but a generous feeling of compassion and care. Not just for this body, but for all bodies. So see if you can begin to play with that shift in attitude. It's actually really good to do it right at the beginning of the sit, to take a few minutes. It doesn't take long usually, and then you might have to do it throughout the sit a few times too, to shift the attitude. And just name it like if you're the hungry beast, the needy beast, the frightened beast, and you're acting from that place, then just name it. Oh, there's the hungry beast, the frightened beast. I care about this frightened beast. Right? Just like we're embracing it. Yes. See how we've immediately switched? So instead of being the scared, frightened beast, needy beast, we're the one who cares about it. It doesn't, it's just a shift in perspective changes everything. It doesn't mean we need a different mind, a different body, a different life situation. It's just this switch from no wisdom, no love to wisdom and love. And the way, you know, there's a distinct flavor. Wisdom and love knows how to include. That's why often, lately at least, I've been emphasizing this whole body awareness because you can't include the whole body in a wholehearted way, in an intimate way, without right attitude. Wrong attitude is always going to, okay, I'll open to the body, but let me fix this, let me tweak this. Let me not feel this. Then I'll open to the whole body. But to open to the whole body as it is, that's a real step. So I'll leave it here. Like I mentioned last week, cumulatively in this room, we have a lot of wisdom around generosity and this generous spirit and a stinginess, fearfulness. So it would be nice to hear from your own experiences and also any questions that you have. And we have this mic so we can hear each other. And just remember, point it at your mouth. Then it works well. Who would like to begin? Thoughts for the group? Robin. Uh, Robin. Um, I think for me, um, 
something that I've kind of noticed in my interactions of, of supporting people or being generous, um, especially towards those, um, the closest towards me. Uh, there's moments of frustration where I recognize, of when they're, they're being appreciative or see it as a moment to, to take advantage, um, of that generosity. And I think my first inclination when recognizing that is to shut that relationship down, to cut that off because of that fear of becoming a doormat for someone and then having my generosity be misunderstood um, and not want to be fearless or have that be a stopping point of, well, let me stop doing things for people. And cause that's not who I am. I like caring for others. I, and it's not for the purpose of receiving anything. I think that's just something I enjoy or that I want to do. Um, but trying to deal with those moments of, well, is someone taking advantage of me? Like maintaining that awareness of how other people interact with you being generous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And of course, I'm sure you, you get that that's not good for them either. You know, if we, if we like, uh, you know, invite somebody off of the street into our home and, and uh, our stuff is there, we're just setting ourselves up likely for them to take things and then that's not good for them, right? To get that aspect of their personality reinforced. Oh yeah, Robin's there. I can take her time. I can steal her heart. I can sort of be a sponge, basically. So, but of course, like when uh, there's a lot of gold, like if I just threw a lot of gold coins out in the room, all of us would be triggered to some degree to grab some of it. So, Part of what you can see is, well, of course this person is going to want to take. But the question is, if we're really there in a generous way, that includes really wanting to take care of them. And reinforcing, helping someone reinforce a pattern that's not skillful isn't helping them. So the question would come up in your mind like it is, like, how can I really be here in a way that's for this person's long-term well-being and for my own long-term well-being. And it should be like we don't really know, so we have to explore. Like, how can I take care of myself and this person? Just because somebody tells you they need something doesn't mean it's good for them to get it from you. So, yeah... And this is what I meant earlier, too, when I said about fearlessness. Like, if somebody's feeling lonely and they call us up and we show up and spend some time with them so they don't feel lonely, that might take care of them for those three hours. But then they're lonely when we leave. And they've reinforced in their mind that when you're, you feel lonely, you need to bring somebody in because I don't know what to do with myself when I'm feeling lonely. But if instead of just showing up and hanging out with them, you know, you waited, you found the right time, and you help the person notice that feeling of loneliness and notice that when you relax with it, actually, although it's really, really unpleasant, it's not dangerous to feel that feeling of loneliness. Well, then you might have helped them forever when they're feeling lonely because you've modeled or shared a way to be fearless at least to some degree. So, 
one of the things we can do when somebody is asking something from us, and I really try to practice this, but I feel, I feel like a real beginner, is not being afraid in that moment so that I'm not giving out of fear. And if I have to, I'll even say no, even though I'd like to give something, but I know I can't give except out of fear right now. So I really want my giving to come from a generous place. And so I might put it off strategically or avoid a situation. Or if I know something's going to happen, I'll work on myself ahead of time. Okay, I'm going to give this. So let's just be with the fear that's coming up. Make peace with it. Realize I don't have to be afraid of the fear, the yucky feeling. And then I can really, when that situation arises, I can give freely. Because I've already thought it through. I know what seems like the best guess for how I can take care of myself, how I can take care of the other person. And I can really be there freely then. But I, I think it's a real tricky, tricky spot. How to take care of ourselves and all beings. And part of it is being okay with the fact there, that there are suffering beings doesn't mean we want there to be suffering beings. We would like, I would like there not to be starving children anywhere or any starving people or other species starving. And I have some resources. I could probably do something about it, but I'm not, right? I haven't spent all my money taking care of starving beings. So I have a choice. I can be unaware. I can practice being in denial that there are hungry people and hungry beings Or I can let myself be aware that there are people that could use some of the resources that I have in the bank. And that's that's like a little irritant in my heart. Right? But you know, it's like it's useful to be alert in that way. It makes it's like to be sensitive. Like I don't know how to take care of all beings. But I'm gonna learn, I'm practicing being okay with how uncomfortable that is. It's really uncomfortable. And it's the same stuff with like racial injustice as a white uh, person. And I know that I don't know what to do about living in this culture where people aren't treated fairly. I don't feel good about it. And I know that I don't know what to do about it. So I'm sort of exploring. But it feels better for me to feel the uncomfortableness, like that's less painful than being in denial, being in that uncomfortable place where I know that I don't know. And so this is the thing about generosity. It's like the freedom comes from getting more and more in the middle where things are messy and unclear and unsure because that's the way it is. So we want to respond from that place. When we think we know with certainty... (laughs) We probably don't. And the thing is, we've created a sense of safety by telling ourselves that this is the truth and this is, I'm doing the right thing or this is what needs to be done. So how to feel that ambiguity and still respond? Because we don't want to, like the other shadow is that because things are uncertain, because I know that I don't know, I'm not responsible. So I can just hope somebody does know and you know, shows us the way, waiting to be saved in some way, waiting for some leader to come in and fix, you know, the problems in our culture or the problems in my life. 
but we want to get comfortable with the uncertainty and the ambiguity. And then even if it's just, we have no intuition, which we all have some intuition, but just even assume the worst. We have no intuition how to be skillful. But just pure trial and error with awareness will learn a lot. Well, I'll just try doing this one thing and I'll notice what gets that emotion and how the heart feels. Well, that felt pretty good. Okay. Well, it sort of felt good, but this part doesn't feel so good. Right? That, like, then we, then the next moment we're a little bit more educated about how to be skillful in the moment. So we have to pick away first by being more honest and more sensitive and more comfortable with the ambiguity and the uncertainty. And that's where we learn how to be generous and how to be free. So thanks, Robin, for opening that up for us. We have time for maybe one, possibly two more comments or questions. Yeah, Max. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, One way that I've uh, found a a powerful way to be generous for me is uh, to wait to be invited. Um, And and the power of that invitation, both in my professional life and, you know, starting a business a few years ago and then also personally. Uh, at first, I was, you know, scared when I started out and was very forceful in, in trying to uh, get certain projects or, or resources. And it was a very painful uh, and sort of destructive experience. And once I stopped um, pushing in and, and trying to force things and uh, really just intentionally put put out there who, who I was and, and what I was trying to do... Um, and then let people invite us in. Uh, it became much more. You know, I stopped being angry, uh, I, and we started getting a lot, a lot more interest and 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 work. And the the relationships between us and the people bringing us on were were much more positive. And I found that in in my personal lives as well. And you know, it's a delicate dance to not be passive about it because it takes a lot of work to put the intention out there uh, and the. And sort of what we're, what, who, who I am and what I want to try to put out in the world, but then waiting for others to provide the, that intention. And then when it comes along, also, you know, rising to action and, and, and taking those steps to go forward. But, um, I found it to be a pretty powerful way to, to be generous and, and to give freely once someone is inviting us in. Yeah, that's great, great points. And it would be very interesting for, I'm sure some people in this room are in sales. And it'd be very interesting to take what Max said to even those occupations that seem to require a more aggressive selling and to really come from a place of generosity like there is this product, it costs this much. There are probably some of you out there that can benefit from this exchange. And my job is to sort of get the information out there so if you're one of those people where this product is the right product for you and your situation, you know, I'm your person. Something like that. Because it would be nice to, and certainly it's easier for some lives than others, but it would be nice to imagine that every occupation could be done from the spirit of generosity. That we don't need to have, like in Buddhism, the archetype of this neediness is a hungry ghost. And the image, the um, that you see in the texts is a beast 
with a huge appetite, big belly, but a, a mouth the size of a pinhole. So they can never satisfy their appetite. Always desperately trying to satisfy their appetite, but can't. And that's kind of partly how we're conditioned. Thanks, Max, for sharing that. So let's just take a few seconds, let go of the words. Just enough time for a breath or two. Perhaps noticing, uh, trusting this sense of wholeness right here in the middle of these conditions as they actually are. Thanks again, everyone, for coming. Really nice to be here together. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.